Hello, and welcome to Coverage Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and your movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Murder on the Orient Express. Murder on the Orient Express was written by Agatha Christie and published in 1934. And the film adaptation was directed by Kenneth Branagh and came out in 2017. Yep. Those are the facts. Those are the facts. Those are the clues to the mystery. <laughs> the case is before us. The case of who wrote Murder on the Orient <laughs> Express solved at last. Uh, it's cool that we're doing an Agatha Christie book. I am not like a huge fan of hers. Mm-hmm. I know she has like a devoted following among many people. Um, I've only read two books by her. Uh, this one and, uh, and then they were none. Yeah. And I have liked them. Um, but I'm not really like a huge mystery fan in general. Yeah. So it's not super odd for me to not have read a lot of them, but I would like to read more. Well, and it's interesting too, because this is, I think, the purest mystery novel I've ever read. Like, it is the mystery. Yeah. With, uh, like the clues, the clues. and the facts, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yep. And it's a pretty short read, mm-hmm. but it is pure cold mystery and i do kind of like that though because i feel like with some of the mystery novels that i have read there's just so much content i'm specifically thinking of the snowman which we did an episode on yeah that book was huge and it was so complicated and confusing i'm not saying this book isn't at times confusing because there are a lot of clues and characters Mm -hmm. and evidence and things like that but it's nice to just read it and have it be the mystery. Yeah. And like, that's it. You get to focus on that a lot more instead of being like, is Perot a shitty dad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking of the snowman. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but cool to do Agatha Christie. She is actually the best selling author of all time. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. About the that. only thing to outsell her is Shakespeare, which we're not even sure if that's like one person or not. <laughs> and uh, the Bible, which was written by many different people. So true. Yeah, she just is just like the, Shakespeare. Yeah, she's the best selling <laughs> author ever. Do you do you know off the top of your head roughly how many books she's written? Because it's a lot, right? Um, Over 60. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I wasn't even sure if it'd be 50. But yeah, and she wrote plays as well. So she was busy. Yeah. Mm hmm. <laughs> But yeah, I uh, it, it was a cool experience getting to read this one. Yeah. And to get, by the way, I'm going to say this right now. We might be mispronouncing some character names yeah. specifically. We are very sorry. <laughs> we are doing our best. Because I was about to say Perot. Yeah. Uh, Hercule Perot. And yeah. in the movie, they pronounce it Poirot. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Every time I heard it, I wrote it down differently to try to like have it written down in an in enunciative way yeah. that I could like read it and know. And it was different every time. Yeah, I think it was Porois. <laughs> yeah. But when we were reading it, we just kept saying Poirot. Yeah. So that's probably what we'll be saying. We apologize deeply. <laughs> I'm sorry. We are Americans with terrible European pronunciations. I know his name is like Belgium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from Belgium. He's from Belgium. But we're just going to keep going with it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just plow on through. Yeah. And Perot is Agatha Christie's probably most famous character that she's developed. Yeah. And he has like a ton of books about him. I even saw reading about uh, this uh, book and movie that there's a reference to one of the books called like Christmas with 
Perot. Really? Yeah, there's like a Christmas one. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I want it. I want to read it. I want to read how his Christmas gets ruined by like a dead body and oh a murder. Oh my God. <laughs> or would that like make his Christmas? I might make his Christmas. Mm. He might complain about it, but he would like it. Maybe the twist is it's all a setup to make him happy on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and the joy of Christmas was right there all along. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's jump into the uh, into the story and the plot. Yes. Speaking of Perot, uh, both stories start off by kind of introducing us to the character. Yeah. And sort of wrapping up a previous case. In the book, it's very brief. Perot is in Syria and there was some kind of incident um, that happened and he's being thanked by these officers. It's this <laughs> whole like scene where they're like kind of sending him off on the train. In the movie, it's a lot more in depth. And I yeah. get that. They're trying to like establish who Perot is and like why we care. Yeah, it's kind of a whole first act. Uh, just to jump back to the book real quick, I had a flashback to the snowman, though, reading oh, this, yeah. where it slowly dawned on us that the snowman was not the first book in the series. Yeah. And in the beginning of this book, he's talking to this, like, general or someone, and there's all these allusions to, like, oh, he was a lot happier even after a, f- a fellow general had died and something else happened. Like, and I'm what? like, what? 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 What does that mean? What's going on? And then I realized, like, oh, that was a different book. I'm like, okay, (laughs) none of this matters at all. Okay, skip that. (laughs) Go on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the movie kind of creates a whole opening sequence where he is in the middle of solving this mystery in Jerusalem. Yeah. Which it, it starts off very bizarrely. It felt like a Disney movie. Mm, yeah, it did. Didn't it? Not yeah. just at this part, but other parts too. It felt like a Disney movie. There's kind of a, uh, I don't want to put it. Kenneth Branagh has a certain flourish yeah. with his filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And like the little kid running through the village. Yeah. Looked like it could have been the opening to Aladdin or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's kind of a wackiness, especially to a lot of what's going on. Yeah. For example, he wants to eat two eggs and he demands that they be perfectly identical. The same size? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, are you... Detective Perot or Monk. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that was a very monkish thing. But he uh, then proceeds to this trial, essentially. Yeah. Between a priest, uh, three people, and none of it matters. <laughs> yeah. But essentially... He solves the crime. He does. Mm-hmm. On the fly, in front of everyone. Yeah. There is a, a part I really do enjoy, though, where... I'll say that up until this point, like the wackiness, I was like not sure how to feel about. Yeah. How to feel about that or Perot. And then during his, his his announcement of who did it, he like sticks his cane in a crack in the wall. So it's just kind of jutting outward. Yeah. And it's kind of odd. And then when he announces who did it, the guy tries running. Mm-hmm. He run, runs one way, then has to double back. And as he's running past, he doesn't even notice the cane and just clotheslines himself on it. Yeah. And I actually really enjoyed that. I don't know. It was like goofy. But at this point, I was like open to the goofiness, maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe he like cranked it up to 11 at the beginning. So he'd be more open to things. Yeah, I I can see that. Even despite its Disney sheen, I did kind of like this opening scene. I liked that we're kind of introduced to Perot. We see his methods. We see that he's a successful detective. Yeah. Kind of a character, you know. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, okay, now... Let's go to our main plot. Whereas I think if you've read the books, generally you might have already known about Perot or you've read other ones or something like that. So possibly. Yeah. Like in the book, there's like kind of no backstory. There's no 
You just know he's a really good detective, and that's kind of all you need to know. Yeah. The movie also does an interesting thing that I think definitely was necessary, where it kind of creates, it, it sets up an arc for him mm-hmm. in the story, where he talks about how tired he is and he just wants a vacation. Yeah. And he also establishes that he has a very strong view of good and bad. Yeah. Like, right and wrong, black and white, mm-hmm. there's that balance, there's no gray. Yeah. So, and I could tell right off the bat, I'm like, okay, they're they're setting this up. To be an arc for him. Yeah. Yeah, whereas in the book, he doesn't really have that no. at all. He's just sort of like, yeah, I'm, you know, I think he's maybe a little more, not cynical, but a little more like, not as uh, idealistic in the book about good mm. and evil and like right and wrong. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I suppose you could say idealistic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what did you think of Kenneth Branagh's? Perot at this point I'll say at the beginning because he kind of changes a lot yeah um I I don't know I think it was interesting that they kind of moved into obsessive compulsive territory with Mm -hmm. him you don't really get that in the book no at least not in this book I know in other books of Perot I've read that he's a lot more like meticulous and a little bit of a, a dandy as He's been described, but it wasn't really described that much in this book. Yeah. Um. So to have him be kind of over the top in the movie was maybe a little surprising considering the source material. Yeah. I really liked, at least in the first act, Kenneth Branagh's Perot. Yeah. Because one thing I liked about him in the book is that he's this short, weird little man. Yeah. And I think at least recently... The detective characters have kind of become cool. Yeah. Like, even Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. like, is cool. Like, um, Robert Downey Jr.'s in- interpretation and Benedict Cumberbatch. Like, they all have a coolness about them. Yeah. So I really liked that it kept it from the book where Kenneth Branagh kind of played it, like, goofy yeah. and a little wacky mm-hmm. and eccentric and not really cool. Yeah. So I did enjoy that. And there were a lot of funny moments that I did laugh at quite a mm-hmm. bit. So... A strong start, I'll say. Yeah. To Perot's character. I think it was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So getting a little bit back into the plot, um, Perot is traveling to uh, Stembul or Istanbul. And while on the way, he meets two people. Um, one person, uh, Miss Debentham, is a, is a governess. We're just going to call her the governess. The governess. Yeah. And then the other is a colonel, but in the movie, he's a doctor. <laughs> Oh, God, I forgot about... But he's still a colonel, though. Yeah, he's a colonel doctor. He's a colonel doctor. So we're going to say the colonel. Dr. Colonel. (laughs) In the the book, he's just a colonel. And um, they're both British people, and Perot meets them, and then kind of has... Sees this interaction between them. It doesn't seem like they know each other until he sees them, like, talking one night, and they make a comment. The governess makes a comment, like, no, not now, like, when it's all over. Or something. Yeah. Then we can be Th- together. Then we'll be free or then something. Then we'll be free. Yeah. Yeah. So very weird and ominous. Mm-hmm. And, but Perot's like, I don't know these people. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but still picking up on it for sure. Mm-hmm. So they travel briefly to, do they go to Istanbul or is it just like. Yeah, they go there. They're mm-hmm. there in Istanbul. Mm-hmm. And when they arrive, Perot quickly receives a telegram about another case he's working on in London. Or, he's needed or right England. away. Yeah. yeah, and he has to go. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So he 
meets his friend um, who is the director of the railway line there. And his name is uh, Book. Book. Or we might just call him the director. Yeah. And Book is like, oh, my old friend, like, let me get you a ride on the Orient Express because you need to get back to England. But the train is completely booked up. Yeah. So he's making arrangements to try to get him on and manages to figure out how to get him into a second class uh, berth. Yeah. Right here, I'd like to at least touch on the subject of the changes of characters quite a bit in this story, because a lot of them are changed quite a bit Mm -hmm. from the book or exaggerated a lot. Yeah. Starting with Book. Yeah. Who in the book is just a a friendly guy, a nice guy. He's just kind of like a bumbling, good-natured, dumb foil to Perot's intelligence. Mm -hmm. That's his role in the book. Yeah. It's just to be like, how could we possibly solve it? And Perot's like, aha. (laughs) Someone for Perot to talk to. Exactly. To express exposition. To explain things, yeah. Yeah. But (laughs) in the movie, he's like this uh, really... Not suave, but just like a person of few morals. Yeah. But like a fun loving guy. Yeah. Like he's like, I just like sleeping with people, especially prostitutes prostitutes. (laughs) and good food. And you know what I mean? And I really did like this change of the character. Yeah, I did, too. It was like the last thing we need is another like old dude. Like, (laughs) I know. Yeah. He just brings he has a lot of humor to the scenes and stuff. Yeah. He has. My favorite line in the whole movie when they're on the train and he's talking to Perot later mm-hmm. and he's talking about like the mystery of being on trains with other people. And yeah. he's like, there's something to the uh, anonymity and close confinement and the gentle rocking back and forth continuously. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like staring off into space. <laughs> but I just we just both cracked up so hard at that line. It was he the actor who plays him plays him really well. Yeah. We also meet a lot of other characters, kind of like, it does a good job of establishing characters before they get on the train, when he's on the train, and Mm -hmm. then kind of like sprinkled throughout this time period. So you Mm -hmm. get some time to adapt to them a little bit. Yeah, and like the most important person that you meet at the beginning is uh, Mr. Ratchet. Yes. Who he kind of like sees before he gets on the train, but then once he does get on the train, he's approached by him. And he's described as this like gentleman looking guy like looks fine looks decent but like has this like evil glint in his eye (laughs) and Perot's like "Mm, I don't know about this guy and he approaches Perot almost immediately and is like hey I've heard of you I know that you're a detective and you're well known I want you to work for me because I want you to protect me yeah and Perot's like nah I'm on vacation I don't want to he's like I'm traveling yeah unless a case interests me I don't take it Mm mm-hmm and there's kind of a bit of a ten- bit of tension between yeah. them. He kind of Ratchet kind of like pushes it a little too far in the movie. He has a gun. Yeah. He kind of reveals he has a gun and is kind of pointing it at Perot. Slightly threatening. Also, yeah. this is played by Johnny Depp. Yeah. Uh, Ratchet. And he's just like in full gangster mode. Yeah. He like just walked off the set of Black Mass <laughs> and like right into this movie with like yeah. different hair. Yeah, different and hair. And he's like, I'm still a gangster. <laughs> so, but he plays it well. Yeah. Like, I think he does a really good job playing Ratchet. Mm-hmm. And then Perot is finally like, uh, no, because I don't like your face. I'm like, burn. <laughs> in the book, it's odd though, because Perot is immediately like, he looks evil. 
Yeah. Like, there's just this, like, air about him. That's that, Perot's whole deal, though. He, like, looks at someone and is like, I know their personality immediately. True, but also everyone else in the on the train later on is like, yeah, he was really evil. Like, yeah. I didn't like him. I had a bad feeling about him. Like, <laughs> this guy was, like, pig pen from the Peanuts, but yeah. it, it was just a cloud of evil, like, around him. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, so then what happens next? He declines him, and then... Yeah, and then he starts out in a second-class carriage, but then the next night when they're traveling, he ends up in a first-class cabin, actually right next to Ratchet's compartment. Yeah, yeah, so Perot gets bumped up to this, yeah. this suite. Yeah, and then there's the incident. The night of. The night of the incident, where... Pro is sleeping, and then at some point in the night, he wakes up and he hears like a cry, like someone yelling. Now that's in the in the book because that clue actually isn't in the movie. That was like the one noticeably absent mm, clue was yeah. like the cry for help. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so that was only the book. But then there's another moment shortly after that where someone knocks on Ratchet's door. Yeah, and he responds with uh, the conductor checks. The on conductor, him. Yeah, yeah, checks on him, and he responds in French. Just a minute. Yeah, or, sorry, I'm fine. Yeah, he says like I don't need you anymore. Basically, mm-hmm. then God, what happened? There's just then like a Mrs. series Hubbard, of events. Then the, this American woman, Mrs. Hubbard, starts ringing her bell, and the conductor runs over to her, and she's like yelling about something. Perot doesn't quite hear what's going on, and then. Someone bumps into his door and then he opens it again and he sees like a woman in a red kimono walking away with a dragon on it. And then he like finally goes to bed, but he also noticed that the train has stopped moving like they're they're not going anymore. Yeah, uh, I liked in the movie, too, how Kenneth Branagh played this like agitated. Yeah, like he kept being like disturbed in the like middle of the night. People kept waking him up. Yeah, yeah, one thing after another. It's just like, what, what, what is it? <laughs> Also, uh, in the movie, and maybe this is a good time to talk about it, instead of just like, oh, they arrive at a snowdrift. Yeah, and they can't go any farther. At an avalanche point, we get an avalanche that collides with the train. Yeah. And it is CGI, and it is not good. It looks really bad. There's, there's, there's other CGI scenes that are bit. not good, but this is the worst, I think. There's like a city scene, like from a distance. There's just a lot of shots of the train. Yeah. Honestly, the train looks like it belongs in the Polar Express. It does. Kind of. It does. It, it has looks that exactly vibe. like the Polar Express, especially when they're driving through the snow. It's like. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we could get like murder on the Polar Express? <laughs> I'm sure it exists somewhere. I would. <laughs> I would see that opening night. <laughs> I would not. I'm sure it'd be scary. Tom Hanks's character, his yeah, crazy no, CGI character. Yeah, yeah. He definitely murdered whoever <laughs> All it was. Of those kids. All of the kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the, it's murders on the Polar Express. Yeah, it's just exactly. a ter- terrifying CGI blood fest. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but so all this happens, the train is stopped, and but then people kind of like get over it basically they go back to sleep yeah following morning everyone's eating breakfast and just chilling and then they find out that ratchet has been murdered murdered in the movie it's actually um perot who like breaks into the room and finds the body in the book um it's just the normal people being like hey he's not like out of bed maybe we should check on him 
yeah, Perot uses his super sleuth cane to like, I did kind of like the way he used it in this instance. He like broke the handle and then he opened it a bit and then he broke the chain from the inside. But he cut, there's a recurring theme of him using a cane. Yeah. Like it's a, a superpower. Yeah. Like he's Daredevil with like a, a baton or something. Yeah, it was a little over the top. So they discover the body. It has been uh, Ratchet was stabbed to death. Yeah. 12 times. Many a time. Many, a many a stabbing. And there's kind of a, a frenzied haphazardness to the stabs. Yeah. Some are shallow. Some are deep. Mm-hmm. In the book, they determined some were with the left hand, some were with the right hand. Yeah. And also some were done after the body had died already. Mm-hmm. And there is a doctor on board. Um, in the movie, it's the Colonel Doctor, but in the book, it's just a regular doctor. Dr. Colonel. <laughs> and he's the one kind of looking at, you know, the evidence on the body and determining, you know, who could have done this. And there's a lot of theories because, like you said, some of the wounds are like really shallow, some are deep. And so they're like, oh, it was it a woman. There's a great theory in the book that it had to be a woman because <laughs> who else would stab someone 12 times? Yeah. Oh, my God. I love all of the, the conclusions. The dumb jump- theories. Like Perot for what a smart detective he is. Yeah. He's like, yeah, of course, it would have to be a woman if it was one person to do all that stabbing. Yeah. A man would do it much more, less aggressively. Men are much <laughs> less aggressive than women. Yes, exactly. But then they're like, no, the sta- some of the steps are too deep. And it's just like, so then they're thinking like, maybe it's two people. And then they're also looking at the evidence in his cabin. So there's a handkerchief mm-hmm. that's dropped that has like the letter H on it. It's like kind of a fancy handkerchief. There's, what else is a there? A pipe cleaner. A pipe cleaner. Uh, there is a burnt note. Mm-hmm. And then there is a watch that has been broken. Yeah. It was in his breast pocket. So it was like, I guess, stabbed at one point and mm-hmm. broke. And it was uh, broken at one fifteen. And I really like, I, I can't quite remember. I feel like the movie didn't draw as much attention to this. No. But in the book, he was like, yeah, that's really convenient, isn't it? That like yeah. we have this evidence about exactly when the murder occurred. Mm-hmm. So th- there's and also like the way the other evidence was found. Mm-hmm. He's like, it seems like it's out of a detective novel. Yeah. Wink. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Perot is pretty upfront with being like, yes, we have an abundance of clues here, yeah. <laughs> you know? So there's a lot going on and Perot is kind of trying to sift out what is true and what is not true because the window was also open. So that implied that maybe the killer escaped out the window, but they're stopped and the snow has fallen and there are no tracks in the snow. So they know it wasn't that. The movie uh, solves that by just having the train stopped on a bridge where it's like you would just like drop off, I guess. Like, yeah. So those are like all of the primary clues that they discover at the scene of the incident. Mm-hmm. But now, the note. The note is the most important though. Yeah. So he's able to do some fancy uh some fancy science, I'll say, mm-hmm. where he puts the scrap of note that was it's like still charred, but it's like intact. Mm-hmm. He puts it over a lantern, he like starts burning it, and that somehow like reveals the text that was there while it's burning. This is in the movie. This is in the movie, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, he does the same. I guess he doesn't burn it in the book. Like, it doesn't actually catch on fire. But he does a similar thing, mm-hmm. right, in the book. I thought he just found a scrap that wasn't completely burned. 
No, because he does that thing with like the hat wires and oh, like the yes, tweezers. Oh yes, you're right. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like he does he does sciencey things in both versions essentially, <laughs> and just I, I forget exactly in the book I believe it just it says the name Armstrong on it. Yeah. In the book he like or in the movie he manages to piece together the word Armstrong in the whole note. Mm-hmm. Essentially, he remembers this case in America of the Armstrong killing. Yes. The baby Armstrong. Baby Armstrong baby abduction. Daisy. Baby Daisy Armstrong was a cute, innocent child uh, who had kind of famous parents, and she was kidnapped one day. And then her parents tried to pay the ransom and were frantic, and then they eventually paid the ransom. But by the time they found baby Armstrong, she was dead already. Mm-hmm. And, so, and the guys got away with the money. Yeah. And the killer, Cassetti... Um, they basically figured out it was him, but like when it went to trial, somehow he got off and it was implied that maybe the prosecution or, you know, people were in his pocket. Yeah. So he like paid them off and then he like escaped to like Europe and was living there and, um, just evaded justice. And so Perot kind of puts together that Ratchet was actually Cassetti. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this was like a tragic incident to begin with. But then like there's a ripple effect from this incident where the mother was also pregnant at the time. Yeah. And she died in childbirth. Mm -hmm. And then the husband was so like devastated, just devastated and shooken that he uh, killed himself. Mm -hmm. And then to top it all off, the prosecutors to go after someone went after the maid yeah who i guess was there when the baby was taken and they thought she was in on it yeah or they thought that she let it slip information about yeah about the baby and so they like the prosecution was hounding her she thought she was going to go to jail so she killed herself yeah so it was just like this horrible devastating family tragedy that was Mm -hmm. like in all the papers and everything yeah and it's unfortunately actually based on a true story Only two years before this book was published, there was an actual case of this happening, and it was um, Charles Lindbergh, the famous uh, pilot. Mm -hmm. It was his son, and his son was kidnapped as a baby and held for ransom, and then when they paid the ransom, the baby was dead. Yeah. And it was, like, huge at the time because, like, something like this was kind of unheard of, at least for, like, famous people. And it's funny, too, because, like, I, I really wasn't aware of this true story. Yeah. But I've heard of the Lindbergh baby. Yeah. Like that's just a a reference. That's Mm -hmm. like something that's in the pop culture atmosphere that is still referred to, even though like I don't know what that means. Yeah. But now I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So Agatha Christie actually based this murder incident on the real life uh, Lindbergh baby case. Yeah. So uh, an interesting uh, tie in. Yeah. There. But so. Perot, upon discovering this note and seeing that name, he realizes that, like you said, I think uh, that Ratchet was Cassetti. Yeah. And that whoever killed him did it because of this incident. Yeah. And burned the letter because they didn't want anyone to know about the connection. So now he's specifically looking at the murder through this lens, knowing Mm -hmm. that he was involved in this Armstrong murder. Yeah. And he's like, it's time to interview people. Yeah. It's just like a huge part of the book where yeah. it's just chapter after chapter of Perot interviewing 
each person <laughs> in the train compartment that Ratchet had, like in the whole carriage, and trying to decide like, you know, where you were that night, you know, what were you doing, what's your story, and like all this stuff. Yeah, it just, it's surprising how like methodical it is. It just goes through like each person. Yeah, so, and like you said, it's it's funny because he like sets up a table in the dining car. Yeah. And it's just one person after another after another. It's like speed dating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> speed suspects. He's like, where were you at the time of the murder? Ding! He's like, okay, get out of here. <laughs> uh, but I think the movie is smart in how it like, it varies not only when he interviews people, like it kind of spaces in some of the other things. Yeah. Like the discovery of the message on the note mm-hmm. uh, and some other incidents that occur and it also has him interviewing people in different parts of the train. Yeah. So visually, we get... It breaks it up a bit. Ab- yeah. And the lesser interviews are spliced together kind of in a montage and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. But let's talk about some of these some of these, uh, some of these people on the train. Cool. Some of the potential murderers. Because yes. they have determined in both versions that it was definitely someone on that car. Yeah. So he's at least narrowed it down that far. Mm-hmm. And there's 12 people, including the conductor. 13. 13? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. My bad. Yeah. 13. <laughs> so let's talk about the governess. Yes. The governess, who he had already seen having a suspicious conversation with the colonel mm. previous to this. And he connected. And he's like, what's she saying when it's all over, when we're free? Like, like murder? <laughs> <laughs> so he's interviewing her. And she's very um, tight-lipped and doesn't want to, like, talk about herself and is very, like, self-contained. He basically gets from her that she is a governess. She denies that she was ever in America and that I don't... What else does she have to say? Um, not a lot. The, the main takeaway, I think, from her character is that she's very smart. Yeah. She's very aware Cold of... Cold and calculating. Yeah. And she's very aware of what Perot's doing. Mm-hmm. She understands like, oh, he's interviewing people in different ways based on who they are. Yeah. And he's asking people in both versions to like write their name and mm-hmm. address down. And she realizes it's because he's looking for whether they're left or right handed and she picks up on that. So yeah, she is at least very perceptive mm-hmm. and kind of dangerous possibly yeah if she especially if she was the murderer Mm -hmm. and he interviews the colonel too and the colonel you can kind of tell that he's in love with the governess there's something going on there's something between them um neither one of them will admit it to perot but there's something going on and when perot kind of makes a comment about the governess the colonel is like instantly like oh she's a lady like excuse me (laughs) i never (laughs) it's interesting though in the movie this role is played by an African-American and they do kind of work that into the story, like it being in the thirties and that being like kind of in a thing. Yeah. I, I was very curious whether any like issues of his race would be brought up given the time period. Yeah. And they are. So I do think it handles that well in terms of like at one point when uh, the the conductor, not the conductor, the director is talking to Perot. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you don't solve this case, then they're just going to arrest someone who didn't do it probably. Yeah. Especially, most likely, the colonel because he's black. Yeah. So that's like, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's a really good point. And yeah. like, I think part of what got Perot to take on the case was he's like, I don't want the wrong person to be arrested for this. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it is interesting in the movie that 
casting decision mm-hmm. and like well it's it's in the script too so yeah it was uh yeah it added a level of depth to it i think mm-hmm. yeah and uh i think mrs hubbard the mm-hmm. american lady is probably another important figure she had so ratchet's room was sandwiched between perot's and mrs hubbard's and mrs hubbard claims and won't deny this fact that there was a man in her room last night yes and there is a connecting door between mm-hmm. her room. It's like a hotel if you yeah. have like two compartments that are like next. There's a connecting door. And even though she claimed it was locked, she says that there was someone who came into her room in the middle of the night that she couldn't tell who it was. Yeah. And Mrs. Hubbard's a funny character. She's very different between both versions. <laughs> she is. In the book, she's kind of a loudmouth American Idiot. who is just kind of annoying and mm-hmm. dumb. She's always talking about her daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back to my daughter. She's always like, my daughter says that like this thing, this thing. And, you know, my daughter was telling me. And like there's references where she shows people pictures of like her daughter and like her grandchildren. There's like people talking about how they're very ugly. <laughs> there is a part. One of my favorite parts in the book was later on Mrs. Hubbard bursts into a room and basically screams about finding a piece of evidence in her room later and she faints and like everyone kind of, like they kind of like leave put her at a table but then just leave her they're like okay to, bye to go see the evidence because yeah. they're like more excited about that than her <laughs> but i really enjoyed that uh in the movie she is played by uh michelle pfeiffer michelle pfeiffer thank you i always have to think catwoman in Batman Returns, Michelle mm-hmm. Pfeiffer. That's that's my thought process. That's your line of thinking. Yes. Yeah. She in the movie, she's more of like this sexy older woman who's on the hunt for a husband. Yeah. Who's a little bit like over the top and ridiculous, but in a sexy way. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of hitting on Perot. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked that. I thought that was different. Yeah. The one thing I, I will say that. You know, a lot of these characters are very exaggerated. We'll get to some of the more exaggerated ones in a second. Yeah. But it does help you, I think, remember who's who a little better. Yeah. Because in a movie with 12 characters that all have different stories and like, you yeah. know, all different identities. Play. And you only have an hour and a half or hour 45. Like, it's much more important to keep track of who's who. Mm-hmm. And so I think this helps it a lot this kind of more theatrical take on a lot of these characters mm-hmm. her included well uh, so another character is a ratchet secretary mcqueen who is sort of a prime suspect for a while because he i guess is just the closest to ratchet and knows the most about his business yeah uh but he has some strong alibis and but there is a whole issue with they do discover at some point that ratchet was drugged which is why, like, he didn't fight or anything, or yeah. like they didn't hear a racket. So, racket, racket ratchet. ratchet. <laughs> but so the question is, like, who drugged him? Probably yeah. someone close to him. Mm-hmm. So that's another one of the balls in the air in this case as to what the fuck is even going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, next, we have the Russian princess who is described as a horribly ugly old woman. And then they got uh, Dame Judi Dench to play her. And I'm like, yeah. uh, Judi Dench is, looks amazing. So to be fair, me. though, that was like a book. <laughs> I'm going to accept that that's a change. Yeah. That she's actually gorgeous in the movie exactly. because she's okay. Judi Dench. Okay, I get so, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> basically, she's not suspected much because she's so like elderly yeah. Yeah, and feeble at this point. 
However, they do discover that she has a connection to the Armstrong family that was referenced in the note. Yeah. Specifically, she was a friend to the mother of the mother in that family. Grandma Armstrong. Grandma Armstrong. Old Granny Armstrong. (laughs) Uh, who was an actress, mm-hmm. and she was friends with her and the godmother of Daisy Armstrong, yeah. the, the young girl who was kidnapped and murdered. Mm-hmm. So it's Knows kind of the a, family really well. Yeah, so it's kind of a coincidence, one that Perot's probably like, you, you know, it's probably just, it's probably nothing. But yeah, but the fact that she's the least likely suspect, but also has the strongest connection exactly. is odd. Yeah, kind mm-hmm. of a little suspicious, perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps the plot is thickening. Perhaps. There's this guy, Mr. Hardman, who acts like he's a salesman, and then they find out he's a detective. It's like really weird. However, (laughs) in the movie, Uh, played by William Defoe, what is this part? He is a super racist German German? Austrian uh, professor. Yeah, and is just very racist. I know. I didn't understand the point of this. I mean, I think given the time period, it's like. Wait, what what year is this roughly the time period? In the 30s. So I guess like leading up to the Nazi movement. He's yeah. Probably, I would suspect, going to join. Yeah, but it's like at all a, a ploy. Yeah. Like he's, he's pretending. It's, it's just odd. And then he's like, oh, I'm actually a private detective and Ratchet hired me to, you know, watch him and make sure he wasn't killed. He told me that these people were after him and he was getting all these notes, these threatening letters. And um, he's told me that there was a, he described the person that was after him was a small, dark man with a womanish voice. Yeah. Which is like <laughs> such a weird. And you're like, what? what? <laughs> and you're like, you didn't do your job very well, man. Like he's dead. Like you were supposed to watch him. I know. And he was <laughs> like, I was watching the hallway. Yeah. <laughs> which later on in the book, Perot's like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Like you couldn't protect him unless you were in the room with him. Yeah. Basically. And also like if you were protecting him, why would he have come to me and asked me to protect him? Yeah. Just kind of like a lot of story things that don't quite line up. Yeah. There's also the Count and Countess. <laughs> yes. Uh, in the book, they are simply... The, the Count and Countess. The Count and Countess. <laughs> the Count and Countess. Uh, in the movie... <laughs> I I do not understand this choice at all in the movie. So earlier on, before they even board the train, we get a glimpse at the Count brooding at the bar drinking when a man takes his photograph and then he proceeds to... Kung Fu beat up three people. He elaborately drop kicks him. Like elaborately. This crazy jump swing kick. Yeah. And knocks him out. Out of nowhere. It's like, what the fuck is going on? And then the countess, his wife, like sidles up and is like, mmm. <laughs> and then they like touch noses or something, and he's like, oh, fine, I won't kill them, I guess. She's like, shh, 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 shh. And she like strokes his face. She's like, shh, Yeah, shh, shh, shh. it's really weird. And then in the movie, there's a scene where Perot goes to talk to them because they're also on the train and he needs to interview them. And the Count is like super aggressive with him. And then the Countess is like, I'm on drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Where am I and what time is it? Yeah, but it's like weirdly sexy. Mm. The drug use, you think? No, just like the vibe. Oh, yeah. Her whole vibe. The whole room. And, like, the two of them. Well, at one point, they're sitting on the bed, and she's got, like, 
her hand on like his chest, like under his shirt. Yeah. The whole scene is like dark and twisted, but like sexy. And I'm like, this is not like very out of place in this movie. Also, I had a problem with like, they were absent for a large portion of the yeah, film. Yeah. Like, I don't know if they were just in their rooms the whole time. She was on drugs, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> she was just whacked out of her yeah, mind. Morning and night. And he was like practicing his martial arts. probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they were just, they were the most eccentric uh, character changes by yeah. far. Yeah. And that was like, uh, jumping the shark for And it me. just made no sense. And then there's, like, when he's talking to them, like, the Count gets so pissed that he tries to, like, beat the shit out of Perot. Yeah, and that whole sequence was very weirdly shot. It was. Where he, like, pushes Perot out of the room. Yeah. Out of frame. Mm-hmm. And then the, do- the door suddenly closes and the detective is there. Yeah. Like, with his... Saving Perot? Saving him with his gun. Yeah. But, like, you don't even see Perot in that shot after he does that. Or so the like, Count's, like, reaction. No. Yeah. And I was like, what a weirdly... Like, if you watch it, I think you'll catch that moment as feeling awkward. It does feel it, awkward. It feels like there needed to be another cut in there or something where you see Perot or something. But yeah. very strange. I don't know. Yeah. There's also, in the book, an Italian man who's... Yes. Very Italian. Yes. That's that's his whole identity. The whole identity is Italian stereotypes. (laughs) Here for your reading pleasure. Uh, I just love, there's so much discussion and assumptions and just prejudice in this story about like people from different countries. Yeah. My favorite part is they think, the one guy thinks the Italian man likely did it because Italians stab, as he put it. (laughs) Italians stab. And at another point, he doesn't think the governess did it because women don't or she wouldn't stab. She would sue you in court. If she was mad, she wouldn't stab. (laughs) I just I love the way they kept phrasing it. Yeah. Italians stab. Yeah. Englishmen don't stab. (laughs) Yeah. It was just it was a after a while it, it did get like annoying. And I get like it's this one character being like, oh, the Italians, like they're all liars and I hate them and they're disgusting and all this stuff. But I don't know. I can't tell because it feels like so caricaturish. Yeah. In ways. But also from that time period, I don't know how accurate it is. Like, I don't know how exaggerated it was for the time it was written. Yeah. Like, I think it was to an extent, but I just don't know how much. So mm-hmm. it's hard to gauge a little bit. But yeah. Uh, yeah, just race and nationality play a heavy part in the book, mm-hmm. which is why I did enjoy the fact that they made the colonel an African-American yeah. to kind of put some of that back in the story yeah, and maybe make it a little more relevant because mm-hmm. by today's standards, it's like he's Italian, he's Irish. He's like, who cares? How like they get along. They're all yeah. white. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it does kind of bring it back a little more into relevancy by making him African-American and being like, yeah, he'll be arrested for this. Yeah, possibly. There is a quote I did want to read from the book um, just because I thought it was like slightly problematic mm. and I just w- did want to like acknowledge it. Um, so the quote is when Perot is kind of thinking about who could have committed this crime. And so he's talking with Book, I think, and saying, 
So this is a crime very carefully planned in stage. It is a far-sighted, long-headed crime. It is not, how shall I express it, a Latin crime. Mm. It is a crime that shows traces of a cool, resourceful, deliberate brain. I think an Anglo-Saxon brain. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I suddenly remembered that quote as you were reading it. That was especially yeah. problematic. It's like only like these type of people. Because... Latin people of Latin descent are just like passionate and like can't think things through or plan anything. Yeah. They they just lash out. And I'm yeah. like, you're like the world's greatest detective and you are writing people off on the dumbest. Exactly. Like, yeah. But besides that, it's not super offensive. You no. know, it's just it's very general with like. Oh, all of these characters, like the Italian man, the German woman, like the Swedish, you know what I mean? It's very like you are your nationality a little bit. But it is worth noting that everyone in the book is like basically of European descent. Yes. You know, and they're still racist among each other. Oh, yeah. But like, I can't even imagine what would be said or done if there was an African-American on the train. Oh, yeah. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) keeping that into account. Yeah. Um, there's just like a few other characters. There's the valet, there's, um, the conductor, there's the Swedish lady. Um, am I forgetting anybody else? Um, nope. Not that I am. Oh, the German maid. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the German maid who is a maid to the princess brings a very specific clue because she describes being woken up at night to go to the princess's room to help yeah. her sleep by reading to her. And she, they ask like, oh, it was this conductor who woke you up? And she's like, no, it was another man. Well, she was passing when she was going back to her room. That's she right. She passed a, a conductor in who, the hall. Who was short, dark, and uh, had a high womanish voice. Yes. And they're like, oh, shit. So suddenly... They're like this man and, and and this person doesn't describe anyone on the train no. at all. Mm-mm. So they're like, is he still on the train? But they're like, there's no what there's no one on the train. Yeah. Like, we don't know. But this is like it was this story was confirmed by the detective. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of confusion. And eventually they do find a conductor's uniform. Yeah. And a red kimono that was left in Perot's suitcase. Yeah. So kind of like mockingly. Mm-hmm. So suddenly he's like, I'm more invested than ever. <laughs> yeah. You, th- you thought you could beat me. <laughs> he's like, I was thinking about just letting this murderer go. But now <laughs> I'm definitely going to catch them. Uh, in the movie around this time, we have this whole like weird side plot with McQueen, the secretary. Yeah. Where he's like running out of the train and there's like this chase scene with him and Perot and then he's like trying to burn these documents. I don't It's kind of over the top. Yeah. But Perot eventually kind of catches him slash he the secretary trips and falls basically. But when they bring him back onto the train, they look at the documents having not been completely destroyed. They realize they're like account documents. Yeah. And prove that he had been taking money from Ratchet. Ratchet the entire time he worked for him. And this is all totally in addition to the book. Like, yeah, none of this just, happened in the book. Mm-hmm. But so they're like, well, it was definitely you. Yeah. And he brings up a good point. He's like, 
yeah, I hated him and I was fine taking his money, but why would I kill my cash cow? Yeah. This is where Perot makes another discovery, mm-hmm. thinking about McQueen's name and realizes that he is the son of the prosecutor. Yeah. Who handled tra- the case, the yes. Armstrong case. Mm-hmm. So now there's another person on the train with a connection to this Armstrong situation. Exactly. The plot thickens more. The plot thickens. But just as about their just as just about as their <laughs> what, what am I saying? What as, are words? What Ian? are words and how do you put them together to say things? <laughs> right when they're about to slap a pair of cuffs on him, they hear a shriek next door. Yeah. They rush over and they discover that Mrs. Hubbard. Hubbard has been stabbed in the back. Yeah. Literally stabbed like in the back. Like there's a knife hanging out of her back. And we were like, what? What? Of course this doesn't happen in the book at all. So we're completely shocked. We're like, wait, what are they talking about a knife? And then we're like, did they find the knife? Because in the book, they do find the knife. Yeah. But they find it in her back. <laughs> and she says something like, he burst and covered my face and like stabbed me in the back. And as they're taking the knife out, as the doctor takes the knife out, Perot's like, there won't be any fingerprints on it. Like, he was disposing of it. Yeah. Like, in her back? In her back? Like, why would you do it that way? No, all you have to do is throw it out the goddamn window. You're on a bridge. <laughs> just, like, re- just send it sailing yeah. into the snow. Yeah. It's just so ridiculous. In the book, Mrs. Hubbard just finds the knife in, like, her sponge bag. I don't know what, what that is. What is a sponge bag, by the way? I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like what you would, it sounds like a name you'd call someone. <laughs> like, yeah, he's a real sponge bag. Maybe it's like a toiletry bag. Maybe. That would make sense. Yeah. Because who has enough sponges to warrant a whole bag <laughs> dedicated to. And enough of them to cover up a knife. That's true. <laughs> that would have to be a, a fairly big bag to conceal a knife. <laughs> she. So they find the knife. And then Perot is also kind of looking at clues that they already have. Mm-hmm. And this is where he's kind of looking at the handkerchief and trying to figure out, it has the letter H on it, whose handkerchief is it? Yeah. I just wanted to talk real quickly about Kenneth Brana, uh, just a little bit, because there's a lot of correlation, I think. Like, in his filmography, this movie does feel... in. Pl- a part of it, I'll yeah, say. Yeah. And it's like, I wasn't overly surprised by this movie being more theatrical. Yeah. Because Kenneth Branagh kind of has. Oh, yeah. Like, I think I said earlier, a flourish where he kind of is a little bit over the top with his stuff. Oh, yeah. He directed uh, a Hamlet, was it? Yeah. Yeah. And there's this wacky ass sword fight at the end of it. Yeah. That is kind of like. Out of nowhere, almost like really exaggerated. He also directed the first Thor. Yeah. But yeah. And so I like I was okay with elements of this, like the idea, like uh, the the secretary burning those documents and that and the chase. Like it was a little goofy. It was a little over the top. Yeah. But there's a part of me that I'm like, I'm okay with this, you know, I can see he wants to make this a little bit more of an exciting movie. Yeah. Than just whereas it's a book where people just sit down and talk. Yeah, know? that's all the book is is just like talking and discussion and yeah. not like a whole lot of action. Mm-hmm. So parts of that I was like accepting of, mm-hmm. but then other parts are like a step too far. Like we d- discussed with the count and the countess, mm-hmm. him doing fucking kung fu yeah. moves. 
Uh, and stab the stabbing of Mrs. Hubbard too was just like felt out of nowhere. Yeah, I I get he wanted to heighten the tension further. Yeah, like the murder was still there. Yeah. But it just felt so like improbable. Oh yeah. Like there were just so many questions in your head about like how did someone get away with that? Yeah. And why isn't Perot being like more questioning yeah. of this situation? Yeah. As it is. So yeah, I I do. I like Kenneth Branagh as an actor and director, mm-hmm. and I appreciate what he was going for with this in a lot of ways. I just think he took it too far, and I wish he addressed more of the plot mystery. Yeah. Because I, I kept thinking, like, I wish there was more visually done to show, like, the clues. Yeah. Like, show the handkerchief and the pipe cleaner mm-hmm. and the note together. Like, yeah. show that in a shot mm-hmm. so we can visually digest it yeah because when he discovers those things we get this like long overhead shot like tracking yeah. shot where he's picking things up and you're like mm-hmm. i can't fucking see what he's yeah looking i at. don't know mm-hmm. same with like timetables of who is where uh it's like i could use like a chart or some kind of like visualization like like the one in the book exactly like the one in the book mm-hmm. but i don't know i think there was a lot of opportunity to creatively problem solve and show this information yeah in a way that was like cinematic but fun and informative but yeah as it was there's just a lot of talking and talking and you're just like I- i'm not keeping track of any of this like you know i have no idea who was when or why or whose alibi was who yeah you're just kind of like i'm just gonna wait till something happens yeah exactly yeah so that was my I think in the in the book you're more trying to piece it together. Oh yeah, cuz I mean everything's neatly laid out for you. There's mm-hmm. even like a diagram of who was in what sleeping car. Yeah. So there is a lot and of Pro makes like little lists too, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of attention to detail uh where that's concerned. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to talk about Kenneth Branagh a little bit, especially at this moment cuz it seemed Things got things re- get real wild. Things get real wacky at this point. Yeah. So things go off the rails. Oh, <laughs> I like what you did there. Full steam ahead. Exactly. Uh, so in the book, Pro is just kind of like doing some thinking. He is trying to figure out whose handkerchief this belongs to. Yeah. In the movie, instead of doing some quiet thinking. Things get, like, just very, like we said, wild and violent. <laughs> yeah. He conf- Re- re-interviews the governess. Yeah. And basically, like, confronts her. And he's like, it was you! Yeah. Uh, but he discovers or pieces together that the governess was the governess that worked at the Armstrong yeah. estate. And this is after he also figured out that the countess was the... What was it? The sister, the like the aunt, the aunt Armstrong, aunt Armstrong. Yeah, she's very young, though, but mm-hmm. she was aunt Armstrong to Daisy mm-hmm. who died. Yeah. So like now two more people are connected, are connected. Mm-hmm. And so he confronts the governess about this. And right when he thinks he has her, who shows up but the colonel with a gun, the colonel doctor, colonel doctor, <laughs> doctor colonel pointed right at. Perot. Of all the names I forgot for a <laughs> second. Of all the names. There's so many. But I forgot Perot's. So he has Perot and he's like, I did it. Don't blame her. Yeah. She's a great person. She didn't do this. I did it. Take me. And mm-hmm. then he, oh, does it start with him shooting him? I don't know. 
I think, yeah, I think there's just a gunshot. Yeah. And Perot gets shot in the arm. Uh, so. I'm like, he gets shot? Like, what's going on? This is kind of nuts. So it seems like he's going to kill Perot. Yeah. But then Perot puts some sweet cane foo moves on him. Oh, my God. Him. More of the cane. <laughs> and disarms. No. He doesn't disarm him. He's about to be killed by the colonel, seemingly. Yeah. When the director shows up, Book, and saves him. Yeah. So he's, his king food didn't work. I felt like I had to clarify that. Yeah. Don't try that at home <laughs> if you're ever confronted by a gunman. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is all, like, coming to a head. In the book, like, he <laughs> figures out that the handkerchief actually belongs to the princess, the elderly woman, and... He finds out again that the the countess is actually Aunt Armstrong and it's this whole thing. And then right after that, it's almost like this domino effect <laughs> where he finds out all of these people have a connection to the Armstrong case. You find out the Italian was like the driver for the family. You find out the colonel was like a pilot, like an Air Force pilot or in the army with... Um, the Armstrong dad, yeah. you find out that the valet was the valet to the Armstrong dad. You know, the, the just, maid was the cook. And yeah. Everyone had a connection. Yeah. Uh, the detective loved the maid, I that think. That killed herself. That killed yeah. herself. The conductor was the either father in the book or the brother in the movie of the maid that killed herself. Like, it's this whole thing. So at this point, you're like, what the, what the fuck is going on? Like, this is crazy. Yeah. Although... I don't know about I, I think I don't know about you when I first read this, which was this time, uh, the ending was already spoiled for me. Yeah, which is kind of a bummer. I know. And I already knew it, too, when I first read it. And I think it's just because it's such a classic. Yeah. And it's so well known and so well loved that um, it's just sort of in the pop culture, mm -hmm. just in that knowledge. Like yeah. you knew about the Lindbergh baby. Yeah, exactly. And didn't know what it meant. But for this one, you're like, oh, I heard about like probably a train story where everyone stabbed. <laughs> everyone took turns stabbing. <laughs> I will say, though, that like I couldn't specifically remember where I'd heard that or why I thought that. Yeah. So reading the book, I was actually questioning myself a lot. Yeah. As certain evidence came up and I'm like, oh, maybe this isn't what I thought. And yeah, which I think is a great testament to the writing mm -hmm. that like I was still super engaged and. Even knowing or thinking I knew what happened, I still wasn't able to piece it together yeah. in that way. So mm -hmm. it was still very good. But yeah, the cat's out of the bag or 13 cats are out of 13 bags because everyone comes forward. Yeah. The only person who didn't do a stab was the countess, which is why there's 13 people. That's right. Mm -hmm. I forgot about that. Okay. Because yeah. she was the one that was like the most connected it felt like i don't know about that but i think the count kind of stood in for his wife and was like i'll stab for you honey. <laughs> it's like i'm <laughs> waiting to commit a murder my whole life um yeah in the so in the book perot just kind of like lays it out and you find out like all these connections in the movie they're all sitting at a table in the train tunnel like it's the last fucking supper <laughs> it is very cinematic it is but i was like why is this like this i know the allusion to the last supper was like so strong that it was like kind yeah. of crazy yeah uh but yeah so in the book let's just wrap up the book real quick because yeah. we're like right there yeah essentially perot gathers everyone together and is like 
I have come up with two possible explanations for what happened. Yeah. He's like, I will give the explanations and then I will have uh, director Book. Yeah. And the doctor, who's a different character in the book, he's just kind of along for the ride. He's yeah. not the colonel. He's just there. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'll let those two decide which version is accurate. Yeah. And the first version he gives is like, there is an assassin who got on the train at this stop. Yeah. Originally dressed uh, as a conductor. Mm-hmm. Got into his room with the master key, stabbed him to death, and then got off later at this stop. Yeah. And that was the the gist of it. Mm -hmm. And then Book and the doctor are immediately like, No, that's not true. That doesn't make sense. None of the evidence points to that. Yeah. What about the handkerchief? What about the time? What about Mm -hmm. like this testimony about this time? And like, they're just like, that doesn't line up at all. He's like, Yeah. Okay. He's like, Let me give a second solution. And he proceeds to explain how everyone on board planned this to all be on board at the same time yep. as him that they had gotten people some of them McQueen working for him and the valet yeah. to be working for him so they knew where he was going and what he was doing yeah and then they already knew one of the victim one of the guys whose daughter what was his what was the conductor's connection his daughter was the maid his daughter was the maid that killed herself yeah so mm-hmm. When they found out he was going to be traveling on the Orient Express, they were like, he's our in. Yeah. And they all planned and bought tickets to all occupy the car mm-hmm. so that they could stab him to death. Yeah. Like, and Perot getting on the train and kind of coming in, like, upset their plans, but they still went through with it anyway. And they all, like, took turns going into his room and stabbing him. I was a little confused because it was it was kind of implied that, like, None of them knew if they were the one to, like, kill him. Well, I think it was, like, so it's dark and he's drugged. Yeah. And so I think they were kind of, like, maybe closing their eyes and stabbing him. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you just stab someone one time, like, that probably wouldn't kill him. Yeah. So, and maybe, like, they didn't know who had, who was going in first. Like, maybe they drew numbers for it and just kind of, like... I don't know. They didn't explain that part. Yeah, I I was a little hazy on because it was kind of implied that like none of them wanted to be murderers. Yeah. And so they all committed like one one twelfth one twelfth of a murder. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, I'm not sure those those numbers add up exactly. But Mm -hmm. and you also find out that crazy Mrs. Hubbard, who is like the most wacky of them all, was actually Grandma Armstrong, the actress the whole time in her best role yet. <laughs> yes. Where she um, pretended to be this woman because she knew that she would be like the closest to ratchet and could be like the most susceptible to blame. So she kind of had this elaborate performance and, you know, her obviously wanting revenge for not only the death of her daughter, but both of her grandchildren as well. Mm-hmm. So he presents these, that is the other option. Like that's, also maybe what happened yeah and so he asks the uh, book and the doctor he's like you decide which version it was mm-hmm. and before this though um the grandma armstrong does kind of like talk about what happened that's true yeah she kind of presents their case mm-hmm. you know she's like this is what happened like this crime was so horrible and on the day that we found out that ratchet or cassetti wasn't going to be prosecuted and he had got away with it we were all devastated and we were all together and it just sort of like happened where Mm -hmm. we were all sitting there and we realized like we couldn't let this go unpunished and she kind of describes their process how they planned it all this stuff and then kind of saying like we had to do it because our lives were so like broken and devastated by this terrible crime 
Yeah, and so it really is. I don't know. It's very interesting. It how makes a case for it. Does it. you feel yeah. like so sympathetic? Because like this total horrible douchebag of a human yeah. got away with it and has just been gallivanting around Europe, mm-hmm. a free man after what he did. Yeah, and. I think specifically Perot describes him as being like a jury of 12. Yeah. Like they were kind of like reassessing his innocence or guilt or not and mm-hmm. decided that he was. He was guilty. Totally guilty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So after this whole conversation, he asks Book and the doctor, like, which version is correct? Mm-hmm. And they kind of are like, you know what? Maybe the uh, the assassin on the train is the, the the more accurate version or the better version to tell the police. Yeah. And Perot's like, yep, okay, we'll just tell that to the police then. Case solved. And that's the end. That's It ends right there. Yeah. And I really liked that ending. I did too. I thought it was super interesting that, because mm-hmm. I was wondering, I'm like, God, what are, are they going to arrest like the whole train? Like, yeah. what's going to happen? But Perot makes the argument that like, none of them are violent people by nature. Like, yeah. this was like extraordinary circumstances and- mm-hmm. And they can go on to, like, live their lives, you know? They're not bad people deep down. They're not going to kill again, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, and I like, too, that Perot is kind of like, here are the two options. Like, he's yeah. already kind of decided that maybe he doesn't want to prosecute them for this um, because he's figured it out. And he allows Book and the doctor to, like, hear as well. And they are also convinced, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he's sort of like, okay, and that's the end. <laughs> exactly. So... That's the way the book ends. Mm-hmm. Neat and tidy right there immediately. Yeah. The movie plays out similarly, yes. except there's a gun involved. We last left off at the Last Supper in the, <laughs> in the train tunnel. As everyone was revealing their identities as to who they were. Yeah. And so Perot gives a similar situation where he provides two options for mm-hmm. which version. And I think Book is like... How does he put it? Like, yeah, maybe the assassin is the correct version. I don't remember how it goes in the Yeah, because it kind of like... He does say two options, but then he like doesn't like reference that again. No, because then they were like... I think Book was saying... What was it? I don't know. Someone was saying about like the truth has to come out or something or... I forget. All I remember is Perot is like, okay, well, I can't hide this secret. Yeah. So you'll have to shoot me. Yeah. Yeah. Perot is like, oh, I have to have the truth come out. Like, my principles won't allow me to, like, lie about this. And this goes back to the whole black and white justice or no justice. And so he has the, uh, the gun. He provides it to... Mrs. Hubbard. Yeah. Who's the Grandma Armstrong. mm -hmm, And she's about to shoot him. And then it is like, never mind. I'm the one to blame. I'll I'll, I'll be the one who did this. And she goes to shoot herself. And click, there's no bullet. Yeah. And I'm like, did Perot know there was no bullets in the gun? Was this a test? I, I, that's how I took it. I took that as like his test to see if they are actually like good people. Violent people or like killers or not. If they would kill him or yeah, try to. Yeah. yeah, and like she was willing to. Although they she didn't was, make it clear, though. She was also like clearly like depressed and like possibly oh, yeah. suicidal to begin with. So like, I don't think that's a clear. Uh, <laughs> no. Indication. Decision, indication, yeah, that yeah. she was. I, I don't know. But it's, it's weird at the end. I don't really know what's going on. Yeah. I didn't like it. It's very dramatic and. 
Yeah, because the two options. He has like, here's the two options, but you can't choose the other one because I have to have the truth come <laughs> out and you'll have to kill me. And then he's like, oh, I don't know what to do. It's this like whole thing. And then he like finally decides to like let them go. Yeah. But it's only after like all of this drama. It's only after he watched a woman try to kill herself. Yeah. And then like sob when she realized that she's still alive after she tried Jesus to murder Christ. herself. It was like, whoa. Yeah. And he <laughs> like kind of has a whole little speech to the people left and says, uh, you know, I have to. He's like. I think he says they're all good people, but he has to like live with this gray area now. Yeah. Because his whole life is, has to be about balance, good mm-hmm. and bad. And now he's like, well, this is a little more complicated. Yes. We almost forgot, though, to talk about the stabbing flashback. I knew. <laughs> I, I also remembered. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So while they're explaining what happened and their plot, we get a lovely black and white, black and white flashback with like really sad, sweet music playing. Yeah. As a group of people enter his cab, enter Ratchet's cab. Cabin? Cabin, sorry. (laughs) Enter his cabin and then proceed to take turns using a knife and stabbing him to death. Instead of in the book where they like go in one by one, they're like all in the same room. And they're like, now you stab, now I stab, now you stab. And they're like handing off the knife and they're like, "Eh, eh, eh," and like taking (laughs) turns. And it's... It's like, I was like, first of all, do we really need to, because it's almost like played like, and this was the moment that bound them together forever. Yeah. Like, remember that time we stabbed that guy together (laughs) while he was drugged and he couldn't fight back and we bonded different nationalities coming together in one stabbing (laughs) moment. (laughs) We all felt a kinship with each other as we murdered a human being being together (laughs) One twelfth of a murder, each of us. <laughs> but yeah, it was just such a weird tone. Like, first of all, we don't need that scene. No. We know, we can imagine what 12 people stabbing a man looks like. Exactly. So I don't know why we had it to begin with. And then tonally, it was, it was just so overdramatic. So weird yeah. and overdramatic. Such an odd, odd choice. Yeah. So that's that scene that's that and that's pretty much the end of the movie we get a little wink wink nudge nudge about another case at the end yeah possibly setting up a sequel Mm -hmm. that will never happen because this movie i don't think made enough money yeah we'll see i doubt it but we'll see (laughs) like yeah um but that's it that's it that was both versions both versions which one's better now it's time to have our own trial where we decide which is better i'm gonna say the book is better I liked the movie in the beginning, but by the end, honestly, I really felt like it kind of lost its way. Um, it got like super over dramatic and weird and over the top and just strange and confusing and totally all over the place. I completely agree because I was actually really hopeful. I knew this movie didn't have a great like critical reception. Yeah. Like it's Rotten Tomatoes score, I think it was like. 50, it's in the 50s. 58%, like just rotten. Yeah. But at the beginning, I was like, you know what? It's wacky. Maybe some people didn't like that. Yeah. But I'm kind of like digging it. I, mm-hmm. I'm enjoying this so far. And so I was actually really hopeful yeah. that it was going to be good. And I really liked Perot at the beginning. I loved his eccentricities. Yeah. Like he's just a guy who likes food and just solving some murders. Yeah. And he 
really plays the comedy well. Oh, yeah. There's a part at the beginning where he's like sitting by himself at a table reading. I think it's a tale of two cities. Yeah. And he's and just, just like laughing to laughing himself. to himself like joyously. Uh, also, we see him wake up in the, from in the morning and he has like a mustache guard protector yeah. <laughs> on his face, like a surgery mask, but specifically for his mustache. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the mustache I got used to it. Yeah. It was really crazy, but yeah. I, I accepted it after a bit. <laughs> I accepted it. <laughs> it's like his mustache had another mustache. There was that one curl. Yeah. And then two curls coming off either side of those. Yeah. So. It was it was elaborate. Pretty crazy. But uh, all that being said, I loved that setup. I just wish he was like less serious through the movie. I know. Like, I wish he tried. Like, I'm fine with the arc of, like, there's good and bad. Yeah. And then him dealing with that gray area. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's a smart way to add a narrative arc for Perot. Yeah. For a movie. However, he was still, like, way overdramatic and too into it. And, like, this is the case of his life kind of thing. Yeah. And I wish it was just more of a romp like it is at the beginning. Yeah. I do, too. Like, keep it more camp. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, the drama is also campy. Yeah. But it's just too much. It is. And I love that the book is very, like, pure, almost. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, here's the case. Here's the characters. This is what happens. Figure it out. And then that's the end. Like, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just like, okay, here it is. And now we're done. <laughs> and I really like that about it. I and do too. I thought that the clues and the evidence and trying to figure out the case, it was very interesting. You were along for the ride with Perot. It was a lot easier to follow and understand what was happening. I doubt I would have understood what was happening if I hadn't read the book watching the movie. No, that would have actually been interesting to have watched the movie first and just see. I mean, yeah, we did know the book and we were still confused at points in the movie. Yeah, because there are subtle changes and you're like, wait, Wait, is he implying the same thing or what's going on exactly? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just wish there's a lot of things I wish for the movie because I like I really like Kenneth Branagh's Perot. Mostly, especially at the beginning. Yeah. And I would like to see another movie with him, potentially. Yeah. But the way this one turned out, I don't love it. No. So I think it's uh, a solid book from both of us. It's a book. Yep. It's a book. (laughs) It's a book. (laughs) Congratulations. It's a beautiful baby book. (laughs) Move on to uh, lightning round. Let's do lightning round. Okay. So first up for lightning. Uh. So the Orient Express is an actual train that exists. Yeah. Slash uh, multiple trains, I think, that have existed like, you know, throughout the years. And Agatha Christie actually traveled on it. Oh, really? Yeah. And she, um, I think, had a letter. She wrote a letter from the train Mm -hmm. and was talking about like the different people. And apparently like some of them ended up being the basis for some of the characters in the story. Oh, wow. Yeah. uh, And... Yeah, I just thought that was really interesting because I'm not even sure I knew the Orient Express was an actual train. Yeah, yeah. It does seem like so fantastic almost that Mm -hmm. it's like, is that real? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this fancy train, you know, driving across Europe. Uh Yeah. Also, do you think like the real Orient Express was like mad? They're like, we (laughs) don't have murder reputations on the train. (laughs) They'd be like murder on American Airlines. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so something from the movie, which I thought was really funny. Um, There's this added bit to Perot's character where he 
has this like lost love that he's always like talking about. Yeah. And he has this photo and he's like, Catherine, my sweet Catherine. And we never get an explanation. No. And it's just this photo of this woman. And apparently the photo is a photo of his ex-wife, Emma Thompson. What? Yeah. When she was like a young woman and for some reason she was in like this period dress, but she was in a lot of like theater and like um, period classics, just like he was, you know what I mean? In her film career. And they were in a lot of movies together and they were married for a certain time in like the eighties and nineties. And then they got divorced and now he has a picture of her. (laughs) Do you think like he asked? I don't know. Probably. That's nuts. Isn't that weird? That's so creepy. Like, yeah. it was already weird. And he was, like, almost, like, stroking the picture. I don't know. It was just, like... Huh. So weird. Because yeah. my theory was, like, they were planning on sequels to this. Yeah. And so they were establishing, like, oh, a thing that will come up later. hmm So, I don't know. Maybe he was, like, trying to, like, corner her into appearing in later films. I don't know. It's like, I already used your photo. It's gotta be you. <laughs> I just thought that was weird. Yeah, no, that's very odd. Uh, (laughs) This was just something really funny when we were watching the movie, or I think it was maybe right after we finished it. We were talking about, like, Perot's obsession with symmetry. Yeah. (laughs) I think it was you who said, like... How funny would it have been when he gets shot in the arm and he like demands the colonel shoot him in his other arm? Well, because there's that scene at the beginning. Yes. Where he steps in shit. Yeah. And like in horse shit. Yeah. And then he like says it's not the shit. It's like the asymmetry of it. Yeah. And then he steps in it with his other shoe. And then continues on. So I'm like, there is a strong precedent <laughs> that Perot should have demanded he be shot in, in his the other, other arm. arm or wrestle the gun off him and shoot himself in the <laughs> arm. He's like, it has to be even. It has to be even. Oh, my God. Yeah, I just thought that was such a funny thought. And I'm like, and kind of justified. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you thought so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so last for lightning round, there's this great part in the book where Perot decides to sit back and have a good think about the case. And along with him, Book and the doctor are also going to think. So he's like, let's take some time. Let's just sit back and think over the facts. And so they're all like, yeah, let's think. (laughs) And Book and the doctor each have this great like stream of consciousness monologue where they're like, yes, the case, the case. Oh, that reminds me of this thing. And I just want (laughs) to read you like a portion of the doctor's one because this is so funny. He is queer, this little man. A genius or a crank? Will he solve this mystery? Impossible. I can see no way out of it. It is all too confusing. Everyone is lying, perhaps. But even that does not help one. If they're all lying, it's just as confusing as if they were speaking the truth. I cannot understand it. It would be easier to understand if you've been shot. A curious country, America. I should like to go there. It's so progressive. When I get home, I must get hold of Demetrius Sagone. He has been to America. He has all the modern ideas. I wonder what Zia is doing at this moment. (laughs) If my wife ever finds out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And then later, doesn't it describe him as, like, pornographic thoughts? Yes. (laughs) So he's like t- thinking about his mistress when he should be thinking about the case. I la- I was reading that on the plane. Uh, we were coming back from California and I like laughed so hard at that part. Like I just thought that was so funny. It is. <laughs> um, that's it. That's it. That's it for lightning round. And for the episode. Thank you so much. 
uh, for tuning into this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was great to do Agatha Christie. Yes. I really want to read one of her books now that I don't know the ending to. I know. It, it would be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I can figure it out this time. <laughs> uh, but thanks for listening. Uh, if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, that is always appreciated and always loved. Yes. We also have a Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh some lovely credits. people over there who have been supporting us. Yes. You are all amazing and wonderful, and we appreciate you so much. Please reach out to us if you have ideas for suggestions, episodes that you'd like us to do, because we do take suggestions, mm-hmm. and our patrons do have priority on yes. that. So that's exciting. Um, but uh, definitely reach out to us if you're a patron or if you're not a patron. Um, we just love hearing from you. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. We're on Twitter. At cover two credits with the number two in there, and you can email us at cover to credits pod at gmail.com. Yes, all those places, we're all over the internet. Yes, you can find us. Just say hi, and it'll make our day. Yeah. Uh, and tune in next episode when we'll be discussing the interesting adaptation of 10 Things I Hate About You, slash, slash, The Taming of the Shrew. Yes. By Shakespeare. Uh, another one of the best selling authors of all time. We just keep going back in time. I know, farther and farther back. <laughs> it's like been a progression of like four episodes, four yeah. or five episodes now. So mm-hmm. this will definitely be our oldest adaptation. Yes. And thanks for listening. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.